Hey guys, Gabe here. I know, I know. You're wondering, wait, why is Gabe doing the intro and not Josh? Well, my illustrious co-host is off to Uganda once more and has left the care of the podcast and its intro to yours truly. So, I'm sorry, no Scott Stapp impersonations or random outburst of singing your favorite Journey songs in this episode, but oh, the liberties I could take to share with you some of the most embarrassing stories of college, Josh like the pranks we would play on fellow students with a very lifelike mannequin, or the late-night voyages into gator-infested lakes on inflatable rafts, or Josh's trademark on-stage contortions while playing our college band's most lively tune entitled Tennessee. Oh, the possibilities are just endless. But alas, I will behave myself and cut right to the podcast content. In this episode of Beards and Bible Podcast, I interview a remarkable couple who live in, you guessed it, our favorite country, Uganda. <laughs> Working in the slums of Uganda's largest city, they have a unique approach to missions, business, and sharing the gospel that I wanted to share with you all. Their names are Matt and Kelly Erdman, and they run Family First Uganda. I hope you enjoy getting to know both of them. back guys to episode 34 of the beards and bible podcast and i know it sounds weird to have gabe be doing the intro and the bumper and all that uh you're used to josh doing that and he does a much better job at that but um it's kind of interesting uh story here josh is actually uh at the time of this being published and posted online he is actually in uganda right now uh for his third or fourth time there in uganda and um so he Gave me the go ahead and go ahead and record uh, uh, our 34th Beards and Bible um, episode. So welcome and thank you for listening. And I am sitting here and flanked by two people I have recently met and befriended, uh, Matt and Kelly Erdman. And I'm sitting here in my mom's dining room recording this. And um, so it's a little bit more informal setting than what we typically do with the Beards and Bible podcast. But I met them uh, a couple months ago in, well, I guess about a month ago in my, my third trip to Uganda. And uh, we initially connected online through Facebook and they reached out to me and, um, and I said, you know, next time I'm in Uganda, I'd like to visit you guys and, and stop by and see you and meet you in person and see what you're doing there. And uh, so we did and um, I was really impressed with, with their model and, uh, and I said, you know, next time you're in the States, please come through Alabama and visit us and get to know us a little bit better. So here we are sitting at my, my mom's dining room table and recording uh, Beards and Bible episode with you guys. So thank you so much for your willingness to come. And um, you guys want to say hello to the Beards and Bible listeners? Hello. Hello. <laughs> We're happy to be here. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, many people don't realize this about Uganda. And it's it's funny that Josh is in Uganda, the co-host of this uh, podcast is in Uganda, and you guys live in Uganda. And it's funny that we're recording this in, in Southern Alabama. But many people don't realize about this, about Uganda, is that Uganda takes in thousands of refugees from neighboring countries like the Congo and South Sudan. Um, and you guys are subject matter experts in that. But can you give us, and many listeners don't realize this, can you give us kind of a backstory and an explanation of about how many um, uh, refugees are coming to Uganda and why they're coming and where they're coming from? Um, yeah, so uh, experts is a strong word. Uh, we have... <laughs> 
about two years of experience now. Uh, we're definitely still learning. <clears throat> and um, it's a steep learning curve. You know, we, we ended up just diving in head first uh, without expecting that. Um, but yeah, so we moved to Kampala uh, in August of 2019. And uh, initially in our ministry, we were focused on uh, running a daycare center, helping vulnerable families um, be self-sustainable uh, in order to stay together. And so we were surprised about a large refugee population in Kampala. And uh, we began working with them. And, um, you know, just like I said, it's, it's been a lot of learning. And uh, I think Kelly was looking up the statistics. Yeah. So um, I'll let you say. So we, after we got to Uganda and we're starting to work with refugees, we uh, realized that Uganda is the, um, has the third highest refugee population in the world. And uh, most of the refugees are coming in from South Sudan and from the um, Congo. And they come to Uganda because they are fleeing violence in their home country. And most of the refugees who come to Uganda are women and children. Uh, a lot of times the men are either involved in the violence or they're victims of the violence. So women and children and elderly people uh, normally cross the border alone without, um, without husbands or fathers. And so uh, right now, as of January 2021, uh, Uganda has 1.5 million refugees that uh, call Uganda home. And in Kampala, they ha we have about between 80 and 100,000 uh, refugees just in the city of Kampala. Wow. So why are these people leaving their countries and coming to Uganda? And why is Uganda accepting them with open arms? Okay. Well, so... The people people are leaving their countries because of violence. So especially we work primarily with uh, refugees from the Congo. From the Congo. So I'll speak more on that. But uh, so the, the Congo has had um, various amounts of violence for the past at least fifty years, and um, it, it doesn't get a lot of press, but it still just continues on. So uh, everyone who um, probably is listening to this is familiar with uh, the genocide that happened in Rwanda. But what we don't realize is that the borders are more fluid than um, we might believe or understand. And so uh, that tribal violence that was happening in Rwanda still kind of continues, but it just flows around in, in the East Africa area. And um, a lot of it is still happening in um, the Congo. And also the Congo is uh, super rich in resources. It has a lot of gold, it has a lot of minerals, it has a lot of oil. And this just causes people to want to fight for power. And during that fight, though, the biggest victim is um, just the villagers and the vulnerable who are kind of caught in the middle. And so people just are trying to get away from the violence that's happening there. Yeah, Uganda is physically just in the middle of all of that. Um, so it's, it's a natural location for people to come to. Uh, Uganda went through its own instabilities in the 70s and 80s and so it has uh, the Ugandans have worked very hard to create stability um, uh, economic stability and uh, peace in the country so they work with the UN the UN is um, very supportive of the um, 
of the refugee situation. So they, they have large camps there where people initially come and they're supported in the camps. But oftentimes people will come into the city, you know, try to improve the quality of life. The camps are kind of the bare minimum of what people need. And uh, when they move into the city, then they're generally referred to as urban refugees. So um, a lot of people that we, that we work with, well, I'll say the average of the people that we work with have actually been in Uganda six years. Mm. Um, so that's uh, something we'll touch on about this issue of, well, what, what's happening? <laughs> why, did, why is it taking so long yeah. um, for people to adapt to the new environment? Um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a crisis for sure. Yeah. 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 And I, it's, it's difficult to say like who's doing what, um, but UN and, uh, the, uh, Ugandan government are working together on the issue. Now, what is Uganda's long-term plans and what is their strategy in coping with and dealing with this crisis? Is there a plan in place in the Ugandan government? Uh, functionally, no. Um, from what we've seen, people are basically just carried for a while and, and effectively dropped. Um, there is still kind of uh, the UN, uh, UNHCR in particular, is sort of an arbitrator. Um, they're, they're kind of the, uh, the final say about what happens with refugees in, in uh, more extreme situations like legal problems and, and things like that. Um, but a lot of refugees in those years will move around from one organization to another and eventually um, wear out their welcome, essentially, and, and basically be on their own in not much better condition than they arrived. So as far as what the official stance is, I don't know, but functionally, uh, there's really no long-term plan, at least not one that's working. Okay. So this is what kind of prompted you guys to start Family First Uganda, which is a nonprofit organization. And um, you guys kind of have an atypical model with, you saw, you saw kind of a niche of a need um, with the refugee crisis in Uganda. And you started kind of an atypical model where you're not just going in and just giving out food or giving out money and all this stuff, but you're creating a system and a, and a curriculum of getting people um, to a point of sustainability mm -hmm. and self-sufficiency. Mm -hmm. um, can you explain a little bit about what that model looks like? You know, you take someone in day one and walk us through that model if you don't mind. Sure. So uh, we actually have been working in East Africa for eight years. Uh, we started our um, journey in Tanzania and we were in Tanzania for six years and now two years in Kampala. So we've learned a lot about um, how to do aid well. And one of the big things that is super important to us is that it's um, adaptable uh, to the needs of the people that we're working with because what we want to do is be effective. So uh, when we got to Kampala, we were bringing with us a model that had worked with us, worked for us in Tanzania, and that model was uh, centered around um, providing high-quality, low-cost daycare uh, for vulnerable families because that was something that we saw kind of as a vacuum that was missing for um, uh, resources for families. And so when we got to Uganda, we did start, we started a preschool center. And um, one of the things that's important to know is that we are actually partnered with the Catholic Church. And um, through that partnership, we get to use one of their facilities. And that facility is located uh, on the edge of a really densely populated resettlement area for Congolese refugees. 
So uh, most of the time when, when refugees come out of the camps, they tend to resettle with their own country, countrymen. And so uh, we work in an area that has tens of thousands of uh, resettled Congolese refugees. So we started our daycare center and um, we just opened. And when that happened, uh, we got, we filled up very quickly with um, children that are refugee children. And um, we were doing that program, but what happened was that um, COVID shut us down. And so we went through the COVID lockdown. Uganda had a pretty severe COVID lockdown. And when we came back uh, from the COVID lockdown, what we saw was that um, people were hungry. Uh, they, were, they had really struggled uh, through the lockdown because most of the people that we were working with, um, they just did day labor where they would go out and maybe wash clothes or um, do some manual labor to get money for that day so that they could eat that night. And during the COVID lockdown, nobody was able to do that. So uh, when they came back after the COVID lockdown, people were really hungry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what we started at that time was that we started to do a working with the parents uh, because we wanted to um, help them to get on their feet and we wanted to do it in a way that was permanent and sustainable and um, that didn't cause them to be dependent on us in the long run. Uh, so we started to do uh, business loans and uh, we did 18 business loans with that first group. And so then after that time, we uh, learned a lot about that and we've revised our model a little bit so that now we have um, what is a year long program that people come in and we provide, um, we provide trauma counseling, we provide um, education in how to do a business, and then we provide a business loan. So it's a year long program. Yeah, and then um, with the kids, we've just had to be creative. <laughs> um, we we were allowed to do a form of home, homeschooling where the teacher actually travels to the home of the kids. And um, so the teacher would visit a couple homes where the kids would meet, a few of them at a time, would meet together. And so we were able to... Um, do some education that way. Our main goal with the children and uh, part of our selection process is looking for preschool kids and um, preparing them for what what in America would be called elementary school. So uh, mm-hmm. like starting first grade to give them uh, the best chance possible to do well in first grade and, and help them keep moving forward, you know, encourage them that way as well as the parents. Mm-hmm. So it seems like your efforts are kind of twofold if, if I'm not mistaken, like you have you have the preschool aspect and, and supervising and training and teaching younger children, but then you have the business aspect of getting the parents or the mothers or the fathers of those those children that you're supervising and training, getting them on their feet, equipping them to start a business, doing, um, you're doing grief counseling with them, um, financial stewardship and personal finance classes with them, mm-hmm. but then also giving them a small loan with which they're expected to start a business. Mm-hmm. And then they come back and make payments on that loan. Now, how successful has this been? How many businesses have you started? And, and are, those, are those still going to this day that you know of? Yeah. Um, we've started, so, so far we've started 21 businesses. 
and we would say that 18 out of the 21 are successful. And um, how we measure success is that um, the, the business is sustainable. That means that they are able to continue to um, sell their product or, or distribute their product and then buy more stock. So they're, so they're um, reinvesting in their business. And then they're also able to make enough profit so that they're able to um, pay for their rent their food and school fees for at least one child. So that's our markers for, for success for mm -hmm. a business. So 18 out of the 21 businesses that we've started in the last year um, are considered successful. And so this really focuses on preserving the dignity of those that you're trying to help yeah. and, and breaking that poverty cycle, but also entitlement cycle that you see many times within yeah. Um, refugee camps and, and displaced people. One of the things that we um, were really seeing and one of the things that we really wanted to target was the fact that refugees really had to uh, monetize their trauma. Uh, and what that means is that they would go from organization to organization um, trying to get support for their families. Um, and to do that, they would go to each organization and tell their traumatic story um, again and again. And the outcome of that was that their trauma was never being resolved. Uh, they just continued to live in this grief cycle and um, the cycle of victimhood. And they, they were doing what they had to do to survive. Um, and they were doing what the system was designed to do to, to help them. But what was not happening was that they weren't just breaking free from that and having um, an independent future. So our goal for um, each family is that they are able to break the cycle of poverty and also to break the cycle of dependency um, so that they're able to just have a bright, independent future um, that's sustainable and um, continues on without the need for assistance from, from us or from any other aid organiza organization. Something that's, that's new to us, uh, we've worked in East Africa for eight years, um, but we just started the counseling portion of our program, and that's really one of the most important things. There is overlap between our business program and counseling um, because the main message is that you know your life is not over. This is not all that it has to be. Uh, there is hope. Uh, you're capable of more than you think. Um, you know, some so many other things like that. Uh, I think people can kind of imagine. After, after years of effectively being passed around, mm -hmm. um, after the initial trauma, after escaping, all of that stuff, um, it's, it's really hard to feel hopeful. Mm -hmm. And so we, we've really changed from kind of a practical viewpoint to more of an um, emotional um, priority, I guess to try to just change the mindset because once people really believe that they're going to be successful, that they can have a bright future in Uganda, then everything else becomes easy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we, we've really changed our focus on how they're thinking, how they're feeling and, um, more importantly, how they see the future. Yeah. I was going to say there's probably, um, would you say hundreds, if maybe maybe not, maybe even thousands of mission organizations based out of Uganda. There's yeah. all kinds of mission organizations. And some of them, uh, you mentioned Kelly, um, they can get aid wrong or they can, they, you know, they, you can give to where it hurts sometimes. But what are some examples and what are some things that people maybe want to avoid? You know, we, we do these... Um, 
well-intentioned mission trips and take teams overseas and do these these outreach programs and everything. And, and a lot of people have the greatest hearts and the greatest intentions, mm -hmm. but what are some situations you've seen and just in your experience where aid is done poorly or giving actually has hurt those people that you're, you're giving to? Yeah, I, I'll say something first. I don't think we've discussed it all. Uh, so there's a something called referred trauma. Uh, I forget, there's another term for it as well. But it's basically like when you work with traumatized people, <laughs> you feel the trauma as well. I mean, mm -hmm. it's difficult to hear all of those stories. Um, so it, it, for me, it's very, very much a firsthand thing. And the natural reaction then is to just make that go away, mm -hmm. you know, in the most immediate sense. And so I think that's probably, you know, like you said about good intentions, um, you just feel that compulsion to give whatever they want. Mm -hmm. um, and you know whatever you ask for, you want to give it because uh, you know they're traumatized. You feel traumatized, and you just want to make that go away. And so, if they need food, you give them food. If they need rent, you give them rent. Mm -hmm. um, and those are legitimate needs, um, but but you also have to take a step back and and see that this has been going on for years, and it's, mm -hmm. it's time for something different. So, uh, yeah, maybe Kelly can speak to the details, but I just. That I just thought of that, mm -hmm. um, you know, that it is coming from a place of mm -hmm. feeling mm -hmm. pain, um, yeah. feeling their pain for them, yeah. and um, some of your own. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's difficult to um, kind of take a kind of like tough love <laughs> yeah, approach sure, sure. and uh, as sort of a long-term approach as well. Yeah. Um, because that is just your initial reaction. It's just, oh my goodness, what, what can I do for them? Let me do it now. Yeah. Mm. I think I, I, we're all probably familiar with this saying, um, if you give a man a fish, he eats for a day. And if mm. you teach a man to fish, he eats for a lifetime. And, um, and I think that there should be an addition to that in that you can both give a man a fish so he's not hungry in the immediate and teach a man to fish <laughs> so he eats for a lifetime. And I think that's kind of more our model mm -hmm. and um but a lot of times we just see that um there are what we want to avoid is handouts and we don't want to avoid handouts because we want to um be stingy mm -hmm. <laughs> we want to avoid handouts because there's dignity in um working for what you're getting and and it's valued more and uh, it's more successful i mean we're not and we don't just say that there's so so much research on um the difference between um, giving versus working for something, especially in the in aid setting. So we're mm -hmm. really using the research to uh, design our model as well. Uh, but some of the things that we see in aid done poorly is just um, giving things that meet the immediate need and then not digging deeper into the whole person. Mm -hmm. And so there's so many organizations that, um, like Matt said, see the need and they want to meet the need and they do, but what they don't realize is that they're cultivating um, a cycle of dependency mm -hmm. in the people they're working with. And, and that cycle and that mindset is really hard to break because um, like human beings just naturally want to get what's easy instead mm -hmm. of to work for what is... Um, long-term what what is a long-term solution yeah and so um so i think that we just see a lot of organizations and we've been guilty of it ourselves as well for sure um doing that and then the other thing that's super important is to, to stay in your lane like 
we do certain things really well, but sometimes like we'll have um, medical needs that come to us that it's really difficult to not want to meet some of the medical needs. But if we start trying to meet medical needs and give food and start mm. business loans and work with kids, we're spread too thin. Yeah. So um, something that is so important is to be able to um, know the other organizations and know what they do so that when something comes that's outside of your scope, you can refer um, to other organizations and have a partnership so that, um, so that you're doing your thing really well and then they can do their thing really well. Mm. You know, your website is familyfirstug.com where you guys can get more information, you can give. Um, but I wanted to uh, ask you kind of more on a personal level, what would you say is a moment when you both realized, you know what, we're not called to work your typical um, and, and follow the, the American dream kind of job and work up the corporate ladder kind of situation. Like when did you realize that in, in your lives um, and what was it like to step out in faith in that calling on your lives? Well, phrased that way, it was easier for me um, because I was never trying to <laughs> have a normal job and climb the corporate ladder. Um, it it was just a slow process. Um, you know, we we both grew up as Christians, um, although that has the pros and cons. So we had seen missionaries from Africa, and we we're like, oh, we don't want to do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, we we always felt, you know, that there's, there's something that we need to do for others, for people in need, um, just in a very vague sense with children. Um, so that from, I don't know, from an early age for me, um, but definitely from the beginning of our marriage, that was just kind of a casual conversation that would happen. And, um, yeah, I would, I would say it's more of a gradual process, uh, that there was never a time where the bright light shown from heaven yeah. and it was like, you know, this is your, your mission and calling. Um, the opportunity did come for us to start working in Tanzania. And, and so we responded to that. Yeah. Um, but I can say how, how you feel. About yeah. It. I mean, I think that that's really true. It was something that we had always talked about, something that had been on both of our hearts before we were married and then after. One of the big things too is that um, we really wanted to raise our kids um, in just to have exposure to um, different culture and a, a life of service. And so, um, and we definitely, we weren't, didn't feel called to ministry in the States. And so when the opportunity um, came for us to serve uh, in Tanzania, I think that there was like an aha light moment for me, but um, where I was sitting listening to it and I thought, this is for us, this is what we're gonna do. And, um, and then we just pursued it kind of single-mindedly. And um, yeah, so we moved over there. Our kids were three and five mm. when we moved. Um, there, we probably didn't think we were going to stay as long as we did, but, uh, God just kept, uh, educating us. <laughs> I think, I mean, he just educated us in the, in, um, and kind of given us this model because he's just shown us like where, where things were missing. And so, um, and then, and then we just kept doing the next step, like the next right thing. Mm -hmm. I think that that's the biggest part is just, if you have, um, a mentality that 
I, God, I want to serve you. I want to be faithful to you, and I'm open to your next thing. And that's always my prayer is like, just show us the next thing. Show us the next right step that you want us to take, and we'll take it. And it's just been a progression of that. Hmm. Yeah, there's things that feel good or bad, but there's not really like good or bad experiences in a way, because uh, you can learn from everything. And, you know, that's the way to turn lemons into lemonade, so to speak. <laughs> is to take the, the things that are difficult, the things that feel bad, and say, wait a second, what, what's the message here? What can be done better? Or what can be done in a way that is not so painful? <laughs> or yeah. something like that. And um, so, that yeah, we've always tried to keep our focus on that uh, because we have gone through a lot of change. And, um, that, you know, that's part of my answer is, is that I, I still don't feel like we have the actual calling yet. It's just... Um, year by year <laughs> yeah things change and we adapt and we learn and we grow and so we don't we don't know exactly what things are going to look like two years from now yeah um but but we do have faith that it will be better we'll be more equipped and all of that so so living and serving and expanding the kingdom of god in east africa mm-hmm. what has been the biggest lesson for you guys and just experiencing all the different stories and and different needs and seeing poverty and desperation uh for me it's to be humble (laughs) Mm. uh it it's hard to explain um but you know well i guess a lot of people may, may feel that way when they start but it's like once you see what's going on you you know you feel like well i'm here i'm here to fix it um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you've stood at our property looking over this huge area of poverty and it's just constant turnover and, um, it's never going to end it is the sad mm-hmm. fact. Um, no matter how many people we help, um, the, the whole area is just going to be filled with people in need again in a matter of days, really. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, the biggest lesson is to be humble. You're not there to change the world and and be a hero um you're there to do what god's called you to do and um you know to just take joy in every single person when you see their life Mm. improve when you see things change when you see them go from despair to hope and um yeah just don't (laughs) don't fixate on trying to solve the problem or the end of the problem and, uh, yeah. you know, just be humble and, and go day by day. Mm. Yeah, I think for me, the biggest uh, lesson, I guess, has been that the, our, our hope is really only in Messiah. And that safety is an illusion. And um, that some days I'm just like, Jesus, just come. Like, there's so much pain and suffering mm. in this world. And, and so then after, after that, you just think, okay... Our hope is only in Messiah and that he's coming back and that he's going to redeem. Mm. And how much is he going to redeem Africa? Mm. Because um, it's just suffered so much. Mm. And um, and I just can't wait for that redemption. Mm. And, um, and it makes me also just feel honored that I get to be even a tiny part of um making things better Mm -hmm. because um i like when we come back people are people act like oh it's a big deal that you're sacrificed to go live over there and i'm like (laughs) i I just want to be like 
joke's on you because <laughs> I'm just honored that I get to be even a small part of it because um, I, it just is so cool to be able to see um, hope being given and then to know that someday Messiah is going to come and redeem it yeah. and I, I get to see, I will know firsthand how much it's been redeemed. Mm. Yeah, it's neat to be see, see and watch the transformation. Um, what would you guys say is the biggest threat or hindrance to what you're trying to do in the slums of Kampala and, and repatriating people and getting them self-sufficient out of these refugee camps? What would you say is preventing that goal from being accomplished? Yeah, it's it's hard. <laughs> the easy <laughs> answer is um, COVID restrictions. <laughs> um, I mean, we've been we are currently almost completely shut down. Uh, there's a little bit that we can do, uh, and not just because we're in the states, um, but our staff our is team. not even able to make it to work. Uh, half of them, and you know, because of travel restrictions, they physically can't even come to the office. So um, that, that has been a challenge, um, though it has helped us um, be creative, uh, develop mm -hmm. some new ideas as well. Um, maybe leaving the, <laughs> leaving the easy answer aside, um, I, I think a lot of it is, is just identifying, you know, who, who's going to respond to what we have to offer, which is difficult you know mm -hmm. um you're taking um a group that nearly all of them are are hopeless um but some are content you might say in that that you mm -hmm. know they just don't really feel like they want things to change and that's difficult to ascertain like who who's who's going to get a hold of that message who's who's really going to see the transformation and obviously we can't do that perfectly um, and, uh, really a lot of that is in God's hands. You know, we try to do, uh, the best we can to be, uh, faithful and observant and, um, do our part. But yeah, I, I would say that that's the biggest challenge is just really identifying people who are going to respond to the message, to the program, um, and who are going to, to, uh, become hopeful. Yeah. Hmm. I think just to add to that that we've had kind of a, some pushback from um, the refugee population because like our program, in our program we do a, a loan and, um, and we require that, that that loan gets paid back. Um, it's a really generous uh, repayment schedule and we work with people, but uh, there it, it's based on research and it's based on experience and it's just that there's dignity and there's um, you gain strength from paying back that loan and we could give we could give people the the grant to start their business but um, it's it's just not going to be as effective but but the the community has been really conditioned uh, by the system to expect things to just be given easily. And so we've gotten some pushback from that, but the people who've really um, committed to working through the program and um, and doing the steps and working on their trauma and, and buying into the message have 
thrived. Mm -hmm. I mean, they've, we have women who have started additional businesses. So they start one business and they work really well in it and they're supporting their families and doing all that. And then they diversify and all of a sudden they're running two businesses mm -hmm. and, and, um, they're, they, so that's, that's the big thing is just getting people, getting the buy-in. Yeah. The motivation to do it. Yeah. Um, thank you guys for, for being a part of this podcast episode and taking the time out of your morning to to let me pick your brains and educate people or listeners Thank you. on how they can um, you know, lift you guys up in prayer. But how can they get involved? How can they give to what you guys are doing at Family First Uganda? Um, you want to throw out your Facebook, your Instagram page, and your website one more time? Sure. Um, so you can find everything on our website. Our website is uh, www.familyfirstug.com. Um, and so you can find all of our stuff there, but, uh, our Facebook is just family first Uganda and our Instagram is also, um, at family first Uganda. So pretty easy to find. And, um, we are looking to, uh, build, uh, a larger support base. And so we really, uh, we love having monthly supporters because, uh, that's our uh, foundation. And so that's how we know we can pay our staff and uh, continue our programs. Um, but we love one-time donations as well. And um, so you can find all of that information on our website. Um, and the easiest way to give uh, financially is just to text family to 254-306-0301. Um, but it's awesome to get people who are following us on social media and um, just supporting us through encouragement and through prayer. Awesome. Yeah, it's a big topic, so if anyone has questions, feel free to reach out to us with those as well. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you guys so much, and thank you everybody for listening and uh, being patient with the slightly diminished quality of the audio here. But, but thank you guys so much, and uh, the next episode, Josh will be back. Please keep him in your prayers as he's traveling around in the country of Uganda, and uh, that he has a fruitful trip, that he's, he's equipping and discipling and training pastors there. Um, so we just pray that he returns safely. Thank you guys so much for listening.